the following presentation from the Utah Open Source Conference, held August 28th through the 30th, 2008, is underwritten by CentralPoint. Providing the ultimate open source server solution that makes IT simple, manageable, and affordable. www.centralpoint.net Streaming and podcast hosting bandwidth for this and many other presentations at podcast.utos.org has been provided by Tier 4. The presentation was given by Benjamin Payne on the future of artificial intelligence in open source. Today, Ben Payne will be uh, doing your presentation. Uh, Guru Labs is sponsoring this room. Please check out their website, gurulabs.com. Thank you. Thanks. Let's see if I can get this thing going again. Cool. It's always great when things work. <laughs> um, just a little bit about myself. I, I guess we could start at the start. Um, my dad was into computers. I kind of went into the family business, I guess you could say. He got me started when I was uh, nine years old. I wanted a computer to play video games on. Video games at the time, you know, the little 8-bit <laughs> little graphics. Anyway, um, I wanted a computer, and he's like, sure, there's one in the basement. Go ahead and take it. You know, it's yours. And I went down there. There's nothing down there but parts everywhere. And, <laughs> and I was like, there's nothing down here. There's no computer. He's like, yeah, put it together. <laughs> it's like a puzzle. And so, you know, I broke a few parts here and there, but I eventually did get it together. And, um, and that led me swiftly, I'd say, into programming, where I used to write those old text-based multi-user dungeon games, you know, the MUDs. They were like way popular back then. <laughs> um, I enjoyed doing that and kind of just catapulted me into programming. And um, since then, I've kind of uh, just been trying to be around computers as much as I could. When I was 17, I was a um, lead IT guy for an engineering company in Heber City called Epic Engineering, and they did just civil engineering, basically. Um, and that was really interesting, difficult, I think, because I had engineers that were asking me to come fix their computers when I was just a kid. So, um, so I did that. Uh, shortly after that, I began working at a company here. I don't know if you've seen it. It's down in Sandy. It's called Cadence Design Systems. And for them, I was doing uh, grid computing. And we wrote software that controlled the, it was like meta software for the grids for server farms. We were automa um, automating build processes. And it was really cool because you know, we were able to take huge build processes and that, that would sometimes last days and we could get them down to 10 minutes. So I really enjoyed that. And uh, I started school at Utah Valley State College, where I'm still at 
for a couple of semesters, and then I'll be done. Um, so that's pretty much me. And now for what you really came for. <laughs> uh, first of all, the topic that I decided to discuss was the future of open source or artificial intelligence in open source. Um, I'm going to kind of intermingle that with my with my presentation here. The presentation itself doesn't cover a lot of that, and it's mostly about how to AI, how to do AI. But um, I think that there are a lot of applications that could be used um, that this specific stuff can be used for. Um, as you can see, I've said that there there are different types of artificial intelligence. That is important to mention because a lot of people play video games or other things where they hear of the term artificial intelligence. That's kind of different than what is actually academic artificial intelligence or the research artificial intelligence, the uh, where the mathematics hit the road. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's different in a lot of ways, and I'm going to show kind of how both of those work, or that's my intent. So let's go ahead with that. Where's my mouse? Um, there are a lot of different areas that are, the artificial intelligence is being used in. Like I said, we um, games is one, but those that's a little bit different than than what we're going to be talking about. Um, they're they're working on things like learning medical records and and for instance, uh, just imagine if your house could could do um, statistical analysis on your energy use and just save you a lot of money on power and gas and things like that. So, I mean that would be super awesome. Um, also, they're using um, they're using the artificial intelligence to see how people use an application or online. Like, what are you interested in? You know, you can just uh, it, it can look at what you keep browsing for, and it can send you advertisements based on that. Um, try and get you to buy stuff, I guess. Unfortunately, the field of artificial intelligence hasn't progressed quite like they planned it to do. Um, it was when it first started. It was just kind of this awesome field that people were like, "We could do anything with this. We could just use this thing and skyrocket, and we're going to make computers behave like humans." You know, and that's still, I guess, the overall goal, but. It's not progressed as people would have imagined. Um, but there are a few places that it's done very well in, like, as you can see, speech and handwriting recognition. Both of those can be used uh, or can be done with a neural network, which is what I'm going to discuss a little bit later. 
Also, data mining is a good field that is, that artificial is, artificial intelligence has been really successful with. Um, if you're not familiar with that, it's basically where uh, you just grab all this data from either a database or the internet, and uh, and the AI will grab out things that seem to be relevant, so that a person can look through there and and say, yeah, this is good, this is not. Spam filters can um, can be artificial intelligence underneath the hood. Um, I put in simple bitwise CRCs in here. Uh, the reason I did that was just because this uh, I have an example that kind of illustrates exactly how that's done. So. We'll take a look at that a little bit later. Okay, this is my first type of of AI, quote unquote. This is your game AI. This is the uh, you know just the basic level. Um, if any of you have studied computational theory at all, they go really heavy into this. And if you're familiar at all with uh, regular expressions. This is this is kind of the exact same thing, and it's pretty in interesting because um, you could use a string if you wanted to. To you could say, okay, this is happening in my game right now. This is happening, and just start throwing out these things into a string, and you can use a regular expression if you want to parse through that string to see what exactly uh, you want your um, entity in the game to do. This, let me just explain how this works for those of you who may not understand at all um, the computational theory. This here is considered an accepting state or a state where we're going to act on the behavior that we've seen or act on the uh, information that we've seen, sorry. We start out here in this state. And every time we get a piece of the string, like if B comes in, if that's the first thing I see, I don't do anything. I still, I'm still in that state. As soon as I get an A, I can move over to this state. Now once I'm in this state, if I, uh, if I get another A immediately, that's fine because I will just come down here. I can take as many B's as I want. Now, why, why is that relevant? I mean, that's a valid question. Because, I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head what might be a good example. Let's say, can somebody give me a good popular game that I might know about just off the top of your head? <laughs> All right, let's say it's Half-Life because Half-Life is... Um, from the from what I understand, I'm not a big gamer, but from what I understand, Half-Life is a first-person shooter. Okay, let's say, for instance, that I'm here in this state. I see an enemy player run across the screen. Then I'm going to move to this state, right? Then, if um. If the enemy player goes behind 
a uh, goes behind a wall or something like that, then that's going to move me around this B state. It's a different event that triggers a different type of response. Um, then once I once I've moved around this B state, then once I get um, if I get in contact with him or the you know, as soon as I see him again, that's going to give me another A state, right? Because I've seen him. That was the first day. He went out of view. And then I've seen him again. And then I'm going to have the AI go ahead and fire at him. Does that make sense? All right. I have some code here <coughs> written in VB. Again, my apologies. Um... It's helpful if I have an internet connection. Oh. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to go hit, uh, just uh, try and connect. Should have realized that. Bear with me here. That's all right. Do I have to log in? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's right. Sorry about that. Okay, we should be good. Alright. Um, I'm going to stay back here so I can get a good look at the code. Just for a minute. Now I've... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I've I've actually commented out a lot of the code in here just because um, the state machine that I was explaining earlier is is the commented out part. I just last fall came back into this code and didn't change it to another language because I was too lazy. Um, and I I implemented uh, what's called reinforcement learning. I actually have that. Uh, I, I mentioned that earlier. We'll probably get to that if I have enough time. So we'll see what happens. It's kind of complicated stuff. <laughs> so we'll see. Anyway, what happens is this is a tic-tac-toe application. And what it does is every time the original player, the human player, makes a move, it will call into this function where it will run this AI. And you can see it's pretty simple. I mean, it's going to check check for the win right here. You know, do some really simple logic. And then 
it's going to jump into uh, checking for checking for its opponent win or you know the human to see if see if the human's winning and then once it's finished with that it's going to call into this move maker thing and that's honestly it's really that simple it's just uh, checking for different states and then making decisions based upon them now I didn't do this in the sense in the exact sense of a state machine this is really just hacked together code but uh could be a lot more poetic I think if I did it the other way um, but obviously that's kind of I don't know if, if that's all I thought of AI I think I'd be really disillusioned by the whole idea because all it is is just code making decisions based upon states and the uh, whoever wrote the code they're the ones making the decisions it's, it's not learning at all and artificial intelligence is all about learning now I'm just going to go ahead and warn you that uh, in order to learn you have to do some statistics and if you combine statistics with um, if you combine statistics with kind of an abstract math like discrete mathematics then you start to get into some interesting results. These are the types of learning algorithms that I have played with. As you can see, we're going to go over kind of how to build a neural network. And if, if I have time after that, then we can talk about reinforcement learning. Hopefully we can get to that. That's some pretty interesting stuff. Unfortunately, I don't have any slides for that. But um, would anybody have any problem if I drew that up on the whiteboard? Can everybody see the whiteboard all right? Yeah? If you can't see, just let me know. All right. Here's my beautiful drawing. I'm sorry, I have no artistic ability whatsoever, as you can see. <laughs> um, this is kind of what a neural network might look like. Right here, we have our input values. That's where all these four along here are. These lines represent the weights. A weight is basically a numerical representation of um, of like a type of variable into the statistic the statistical algorithm that we're going to use. What really happens is the value that's put into here, for instance, let's say it's binary, and we have a one, zero, one, zero simple enough. The value in here is going to get multiplied by each one of these and it's going to go into these uh, the we call them hidden states. Um, they're just basically placeholders. 
so that we can feed forward. The reason to have these hidden states is because if you go straight from the input directly to the output, sometimes it's difficult for the system to learn. And it's even possible for the system to learn exactly backwards of what you're trying to get it to do. It's not very helpful. It's really boring. And you might even think that you've done something completely wrong and you might be, you know, discouraged. As you can see, each one of these are going to have their input into the uh, hidden, the hidden uh, states. Now, once we get to this this portion, what we've done is they've all had to save all of their the input from each one of these input states. They've had to save it into some kind of an array. The reason why is they're going to have to take all that information and add it all together, basically. So that's kind of where the algorithm gets a little complicated because you know you've got to you've got to move from here iterating through this set of states. Now you got to start iterating through these guys. And you have to go through all of their saved information to add that all together before you can run the exact same algorithm as was run here to get these outputs. Anybody have any questions so far? What's that? <laughs> um, could you be a little more specific? <laughs> I thought I was being pretty specific. That's correct. So, and the so in the example of the, the artificial intelligence in the game with the, the opponent that's going to shoot at you, right. how would those little nodes... Well, this is actually, that, that one that I talked about, that's, a, that's more of a state machine kind of thing. This is actually trying to learn something. So it would watch where you go and know that you always hide behind this particular um, wall? Or? It would say that you statistically hide there more often. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, if I can maybe is, is give an a, example. Essentially just a, a parallel set of state machines? Um, see, I kind of thought that originally. And it's similar if you, uh, you know in calculus, if you take the limit as something approaches infinity, it's going to um, if it's a, a specific kind of function, it will either converge or diverge, right? This function was written to converge at some point. If it converges quickly, then we've got, we've got these weights that never change. And if we hard code those weights into here, then we've pretty much got a state machine. You know, they're always going to change based on the user input. Does that make sense? If I could maybe give an example, 
like I said, if we used binary functions throughout these inputs, and we were trying to get, let's say, a output that had um, that was a cyclic redundancy check, so it was one bit or two bits. Okay, in this case, two. If we input our our bits that we get into here, they're going to multiply through these weights, get to these hidden states. Then the hidden states are going to multiply by those weights, and it's going to make a guess. Now the guess that comes out is going to be a fractional value. It's not going to be. It's not going to come out and say one. It's not going to come out and say zero. It'll say like 0.98 or whatever, and we're like. Well, that's dang close to one, so we just round it up. You know what I mean? And what I did in my neural network was I took all of the values, and if it was 0.5 or above, I just went ahead and rounded it to one. And if it was below that, anything below that, then I just rounded it down to zero. So anyway, let's continue on with this. Here is my extremely beautiful representation of how this is done. <laughs> um, lots of nasty math in there. Basically, you take you take the uh, state value, which is x here, and you take the weight value, which was calculated by or by by the backpropagation algorithm that we're going to discuss. Now, in order to get this little function here, we uh, I don't know, it's kind of hard to see, but basically we take we have a variable n here, probably really hard to see, and we start with i equals zero. This is a for loop, simple. And all we do is we take our value in the array that we have and multiply it by the value for the weights. We have two arrays, right? They're the exact same size. Both, both are of size n. And we use our for loop to iterate through there. We add them all together. Pretty simple stuff. Then, once then that gives us this variable that we call net. Once we've got that, in order to get the output value, which you see here, all you have to do is take the inverse, or 1 over the uh, 1 plus this e value, which is the base of the natural log, <laughs> and uh, raise that to the power of the negative of net. That's really, um, it's a tough explanation to get. Does anybody have like an easy way to explain how that works? Because it's like functions in math or even functions in C++. Uh -huh. I'm presuming that we have, everyone at least understands what a function is. Basically, each one of those nodes, all it knows how to do is one thing. That's and right. It all of it, all of its inputs. Yes. That's right, and, and it uses this net as kind of the intermediate 
variable. It's a variable as an input to the function. That's just my function right there that I'm using. And, um, and the reason it works is because I've actually drawn a graph here. This is supposed to be kind of a mathematical representation of what the graph would look like. You have your axis, your x and y axis. And it's going to converge as it goes out to infinity. So as I run this neural network training algorithm that I'm going to be showing here, as I run it over and over and over again, like seriously, probably 100,000 times or more, you know, but 100,000 is pretty good. Uh, it'll start to... Uh, it'll start to come out with the values that I'm actually looking for. So on that one before this, you'll start to see the, the 1 and 0, if that's what you're looking for. You'll start to see things like that. Um, I, have, I have some code which might, yeah. Sorry. That's fine. Um, I just remembered something about uh, Monte Carlo simulations. Mm -hmm. Is this similar to that, where you have a bunch of inputs and they kind of um, it's it's a little different than that because it's based on this underlying statistical thing. What happens is this is only the forward propagation, right? They call it, it's called a feed forward because all of these inputs get you know go into that function and come out as the output. Now, when I first start it's obviously going to be wrong. You know, it's making these random guesses to try and come up with the output. The uh, the difficult thing is is training it. What happens is they call it a back propagation algorithm because as all of the information feeds forward, it comes up with a guess. And the guess is going to be wrong the first few times, probably the first 50,000 times even. Um, but then what I do, and, and we'll cover this in just a minute, is say, no, it was supposed to be a 1. And then that sends information back to up the, update the weights that I was talking about, the little lines. And that information starts to crunch down to the point where it gets, you know, so it's, it's different than Monte Carlo. But I can give an example. Imagine watching football for your first time. And at the beginning of the football game, you're told to guess which team will win. You're probably going to get it wrong. Right. But you're going to learn from that experience. And after you've watched 10,000 football games, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what team is going to win. Yeah, and see, your, your brain is actually a lot smarter than a computer. So, you know, it's going to pick up on certain aspects a lot quicker. You'll be like, well, that guy's not a very good player. And, you know, so you're going you're gonna to pick up a lot quicker on that. Um, and the reason why is because of what you're using to learn. In this case, all we're using to learn is a bunch of bits, one or zero, fed into this neural network to try and get whatever comes out. We're, we're, not, um, we're not learning anything really specific. You know, There's no mathematical algorithm 
that we're putting into here to say, okay, if you get a 1 and a 0, then you're going to want a 1 to have a odd parity. Does that make sense? Does everybody know what parity is? If, if you have, if you want an odd parity, you want an odd number of 1s in the system. So if you have a 1, 0, 1, there's currently an even number, so you'll say 1 there. If you have a 1, 1, 1, you'll say 0 there because you already have an odd number. Does that make sense? And that's what we're, uh, that's kind of what I'd like for everybody to imagine with this neural network is we're putting in the 1, 0, 1 or whatever, and we want it to get, give us the value that comes out. It's a really, really simple, simple thing for a neural network to do. But it's really, I, in my opinion, a good, good, basic thing to learn from. So, is everybody good on this? Can I move on? <laughs> Sorry if I'm being really confusing. Um, there is a problem with this, though, and it's. Um, I, the reason that I highlighted this is because it was really important. If you just send a lot of information into a neural network, it's probably not going to learn it. It's got to have kind of a pivot point or a bias that it can look at to see what it's supposed to be doing. Kind of like um, an anchor in a boat, you know. It's got to have some kind of foundation. But, uh, if you look here, it says um, this the summation starts at zero, but we have an x state starting at one and going to four. So obviously we're missing something. Like I said, the uh, this is the anchor state that I was kind of talking about. It just kind of helps the the neural network to update its weights more correctly, and it's going to converge a lot better, whereas the other one might not even converge at all without that pivot state. like more on the other side where I'm just like learning how like trying to figure out how all this how to build a more intelligent artificial intelligence. In fact that's, that's true. There's sort of an AI war going on here. We've got these increasingly intelligent mm -hmm. spam networks and we've got increasingly intelligent spam filters. Uh, the thing is, the Bam. bad side is getting yeah. better, the good side has to get better, or we're just going to go forward. That's right. I'm understanding.
understanding it correctly, is it a sandbox really, quote unquote, AI? Is it really learning anything? It very well could be. I mean, like I said, we, um, neural networks and things like that are used in data mining, and a spam bot is just uh, data mining gone bad. Okay, and if I can enter that one, whether or not uh, spam bots really are. Okay, the point of spam is usually to get your personal information or get you to click some ads. That's right. Have you heard of the Russian dating bot? There's a bot in Russia right now that will uh, perfectly emulate a lonely woman, and it will talk to guys. And it is so human-like that it will convince them that it's human to the point where they will give out their personal information. They are. He probably wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What's the address for this thing? So so you can't talk to it if you're in the United States. Well, I don't speak Russian, so it's a minor problem for me. Oh yeah. That could be a problem. Anyway, I think maybe, you know, if you kinda understood how a neural uh, an artificial intelligence works, maybe you could figure out how to not give it its you know, how to not train it. Problem is, bots like that are usually similar types of artificial intelligence, and uh, they're, they're not looking for you to train them. They've already been trained. They just are, um, they're just out looking for information, and they're collecting it all and shoving it into a database. So, is anyone, is, is this not interesting at all? <laughs> How does that relate to AI, though? Uh-huh. Yeah, and this is kind of like just a, a how-to, less than a how-to implement, uh, how-to, you know. This is how to write the library, not really how to use it. You know what I mean? Um, so, I, I actually do have a pretty good... Let's see here. This is all really nasty math. So, um, for those of you who care, you can go. You can go to my um, website and grab this off if if you're more interested in it. I'm just gonna go ahead and skip to something that might be a little more interesting. Okay, this was an idea I had about uh, six months ago, I'd say. Um, I was at work. I work in a home automation company, like I said, and they have a microcontroller that runs Linux. And 
the, um, you can get into the microcontroller. They have a guest account. It's useful for the dealers, the people that sell our product, to be able to get into there and compile scripts and things like that. Um, sometimes the feedback from the, the embedded system is just not what you're looking for. And so sometimes you honestly need to get in there and compile a script. Well, I jumped on there. The, uh, the operating system guy was refusing to give out passwords. And um, the guest account didn't have a password. So fine, you can get in, right? But the guest account really can't do much. So I wanted the root password. And I was trying to get it from him. He wouldn't give it to me. And I found out the whole thing was encrypted with Dez. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of that. It was an older version of Dez. Had, uh, it was like the eight, uh, eight character passwords. You know what I'm talking about? It just truncates it or, you know, fills it in with blanks. Well, I was like, you know, that neural network that I was showing you, I was like, easy. I just break it up into a bunch of different states like that. I take the hash that comes out of Dez, the, you know, the, you've seen the little thing with a bunch of different ugly characters coming out of there. Yeah? Have you ever looked at your past WD file at all? Well, it's not in there anymore, but um, on this embedded system, it actually is because it's kind of an older version of Linux. But uh, if you look in the past WD or the shadow file in your Linux box, you'll see that there's a little hash. It looks like a bunch of garbage. It's like capital letters, lowercase letters, numbers, all the way through that whole thing. Um, and that's what they call the hash. That's what gets created by when you type in your, your password, it goes into the program and out pops the hash. So my idea was to grab the hash out of there, which the guest account had access to for some reason. <laughs> um, I think that might have been oversight on his part. Anyway. So I, I built that neural network that I was showing you, and uh, I took the hash, and I actually had one neural network for each bit in the ASCII, in the whole entire ASCII thing. So, you know, if you do the math, it's actually quite a bit, because there's like there's like eight bits in a byte, right? One byte can represent one ASCII character, and there's eight ASCII characters possible. So it's like 64 different neural networks running all at the same time. And then I take my hash that I took out of the past WD file, and I, uh, I take that and I shove it in to this, um, to this neural network, or these, this set of neural networks. And um, I took that, did that over and over and over. Basically, what I do is I had I had a driver program that was running, and it would grab a word out of a library. So I had this huge library with like hundreds of thousands of words in it. And it would take a word out of the library, and it would encrypt it with Dez, and then Dez would return the hash. I would take the hash, feed it into 
my neural network, and it would propagate through. And then once it had gotten through there, then it would make a guess. And obviously, you know, it's going to be wrong at first. But what I did was I just took that original word that I used to encrypt, and I said, no, the word is this. And so it would take that, run it through that back propagation algorithm that we kind of skipped over, <laughs> and, um, and it would update all the weights. Eventually, it got to the point where it could guess accurately what the password should be based on the, the hash. And, um, and I ended up getting that. I, I passed his hash into there and came up with the password, and that was the correct password. It took about 14 days to train the thing on an old um, 900 megahertz processor. So what was the password? It was actually, it was pretty funny because um, because I, I had used, have you ever heard of John the Ripper, the ripping? Yeah. I used that, didn't come up with anything. I ran that thing for weeks, <laughs> and it didn't, didn't work at all. Um, so it ended up being uh, 46 with a space, and then the word vomit. <laughs> so it was... It was pretty interesting. Anyway, so so I went and told the guy. I was like, hey, man, I found out what your password is. He's like, how'd you do that? And I explained the whole thing to him. He's like, that's kind of cool. He's like, but then he, then he said, I didn't realize that the guests could see the hash. <laughs> and I was like, well, so sorry. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of like one, one way that I've used it. Um, but you can see from that, that story that it's really important to um, define what you want. What I did was I decided to break the whole thing down into ASCII, right? One, so that way, ASCII is easy because all it is is just one bit per character, and, or one byte per character, and the bits are easy to break up. So, um, so that's why it's really important to define your features really well. A feature is actually defined as the, me the unit of measurement. Kind of like in physics, you know? You've got force, and uh, here we do it like in pounds, you know? So in, in artificial intelligence, those are called features. I don't know who came up with that, actually. Um, we talked about building that training program that you know I used. I took the uh, the words out of the library and I fed them back in. Um, I'm actually currently working on a project that's <coughs> kind of on the same lines as what you were talking about. What it does is it goes in and have you seen those? I don't know what they're called, but the uh, their little um, pictures. What? Yeah. So you can look at the picture and determine what it's supposed to be. What the? And you, you know, and then you. <laughs> but see, I don't ever use those things. <laughs> well, that's already been done. Right? Yeah, but not by me. That's why it's an interesting prob problem. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway. Um. But see, I don't use them for anything. I just like to see if I can do it. So, 
Uh, it's kind of that. Yeah. In fact, we're um, my professor and I, the guy that I've been doing research with, um, uh, we're actually thinking about that. The difficult thing is, how do you run the back propagation, which takes a lot of computing power, while you're running the game, which takes a lot of computing. You know, most <laughs> games. Yeah. Well, we were thinking you could have like a server side, and then you could have a you could have like a client side, right? And and the server side is is separate from the game server. It's a AI server. And what happens is every time something happens in the game, it takes all that information, shoves it into the AI. That thing runs the really nasty calculation, which takes which takes memory and you know processing, like lots of iterations on the processor to do. But we think that that's possible, and we're actually working on a project to do that. So can you use uh, parallel processing for the video cards? Um, you can. The, the did you say through the video cards? Yeah. yeah. So so you're talking about using the GPU to comp yeah. to compute the thing. Um, yeah, we've actually looked into that a little bit. It's kind of cool because you kind of have to break it down into a graphic. I mean, that's what you submit to the GPU is a graphic. And that thing can crunch numbers like nobody's business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, that's, that's kind of a There's also the cell process way that they're going. Yeah, we've looked at that too. That's, that thing's really awesome. It has an um, Apple a PowerPC processor. That is the main processor. And then it's got a bunch of IBM processors running underneath it. It's got eight cores, I believe. Yeah. Things are awesome. So. In less real time scale, this is already applied. Uh -huh. Because in non neural network AI, all of this backtracing is usually done a little in adjustments on constants and a function mm -hmm. in heuristics. Yep. So, what they do a lot on games and stuff like that is they adjust the heuristics of your AI ahead of time right. so that the AIs get smarter and smarter. And then but that only adds momentum to the, to the process, right? It speeds it up. It's, you still got a lot of crunching to do, though. Right, it only adds momentum to the neural network process. It causes it to converge faster. The heuristics? Yes. Well, I was talking about using heuristics in non-neural network. Okay, yeah. With like reinforcement learning or something uh, like that? More like path searching, which is much more common in games. Yeah. It's true. Um, yeah. Like a, um, a chess AI, oftentimes we use uh, tree searches, like decision trees. That's what you're talking about? And that relies literally entirely on heuristics. On heuristics, right. Which takes a lot less computation, but still a lot. Well, considering you've got a 64 by 64 board with different kinds of moves, right. on chess, your heuristic is atrocious. Right. That's why uh, a big blue or deep blue, mm -hmm. the one that actually won the chess tournament, uh -huh. had to build their heuristic into the hardware to make it go faster. Right. Exactly. And see, that's, that's the kind of problem. We're trying to make it so you can use a regular machine, a regular PC. That's what we're working on right now to... Uh, to build. Anyway, yeah? I just wanted to mention for those of us who are on the application side, like 
Uh-huh. And it does the computation for you. Thanks for that, because I actually, you know, I'm, I'm all about, like, I'm trying to take the knowledge that I know and come up with something a little more nucleus or whatever. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Thanks, I appreciate that. Weka? Cool, so there you go. Now you have a library. Just API, plug it all in. That's, that is way awesome. Because I was, you know, I, I was going from the ground up and saying, okay, this is kind of where I think things are going to go. I didn't really get into that, but... Um, but, uh, okay. I, yes. Once you pass the training phase of the neural network, mm -hmm. does it learn anymore after that, or? You can keep training it if you want. Well, how do you do that if you're working with real data without? You, you run the back propagation algorithm that I was talking about. Kind of skipped over that page. It's on there. It's on ai.trickster.com if you want to well, look at it, but you don't have to run that. You run the back propagation, though. You have to know the answer, right? Right. Okay, so if I'm running this neural network on this gob of data, mm -hmm. and it comes up with something, I've got no way to back train it and say, oh, that was wrong or, or whatever right. without going through the So whole. you've got to be pretty, you know, you've got to narrow your domain of the things that you're looking at and be pretty sure what you're going to get in there so that you can train it appropriately. You don't want it grabbing something that's clear off out in Timbuktu. So... That's right. Yeah. But you don't always have to train it. Does that make sense? You don't have to run the back propagation. You, you can take whatever it gives you as an answer and trust it. So. Right. I bridge for sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But if your domain is is well defined, you know, if if the range of stuff that you're looking at. It's pretty well defined, and you know kind of what you're going to be getting out of there. Then you're going to be pretty accurate when when you get it back. So, um, the network you want as many inputs as you have for data. That makes sense, right? You want about two times the. What I usually do for an algorithm is multiply the, the number of inputs by two and um, subtract half. Does that make sense? Two times n, n being the number of inputs, um, minus one half of the, of the number of inputs. Does that make sense? So you're going to get like, if, if you had two, you know, Two times that four, and minus half you're going to be back to two. Well, you could, but it's going to be different for different numbers. Does that make sense? Actually, you'd be. Yeah. Sorry. I think I. Yeah, I, I think I didn't do do that right. Yeah. Multiply by one point five. It works. Anyway, the reason I do that is because you want generally, you know. Two is a very small neural network. 
But generally, you want like a little bit more like, um, hidden nodes, hidden states, than you have input states. So you multiply n by 2 and then subtract it by n times 0.5. That makes sense. <laughs> 2n minus 0.5n. Right. We'll do that. <laughs> right. So you have, you have more. I don't know. I'll tell you what, man. My calculus class, nobody understood me, so. Don't feel bad. <laughs> anyway, I think I'm out of time. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me <laughs> and um, coming, listening. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.